Hello, listeners. In this episode of Reader Watch, a audio face podcast, my co-host and published author Joshua Wold and I compare the book The Girl with All the Gifts to its movie adaptation by the same name. Is the book always better than the movie? Come join us as we find out. And as a warning to our listeners, this episode does contain spoilers. Now let's get started. So my main takeaway from this movie is it needed more flamethrowers. That was my biggest disappointment with the movie. Perfect otherwise. It was perfect. I would not have changed a thing. Rather, well, actually we'll get into some changes. Go ahead. <laughs> so today we were talking about The Girl with All the Gifts. Um, it's, uh, the original book was written uh, back in 2014 by Mike Carey. And then later in 2016, it was turned into a film by directed by Colm McCarthy. So we are going to be talking about the differences between the book and the movie, um, what we liked and didn't like between those differences, what we thought made sense. And I have two facts that I pulled up. The movie budget, it was a UK film, but converted to US dollars was $5 million. Oh, really? Because I saw like $2.3 million. Oh, I saw four million pounds, five million dollars, and then the box office was two point three million. Okay, that that may have been it. Yes, um, so it did not necessarily do incredibly well at the box office, <laughs> but we're talking about it today because we really liked it. Yeah, the main story has to do with this fungus called cordyceps, which Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. That just rolls right off the tongue. Yep. I think many of us have seen Planet Earth from mm-hmm. about, what, 12 years ago now? Is that long ago? Yes. The original one. The original. <laughs> and just being blown away by these fungus things that attack insects. Do you want to describe the scene if you remember? Yeah, I think, well, the basic thing is, is that um, Ophiocordyceps are specialized for... And they're real. ...certain insects. They are, they are, this is a real thing. Yeah. Where we are describing. Um, but Oph- it really does roll off the tongue. Ophiocordyceps. In the book, they just say cordyceps a lot. Yeah, we'll just, let's let's do that. So cordyceps, uh, they are specialized um, for individual insects. So there's a specific strain for, let's say, ants. Or a specific beetle. Yeah. Um, and what it does is it somehow gets into the ant's brain and starts mm-hmm. to grow and latch onto it. Fungal spores that work their way in. Yeah. Causing it to... Um, almost like a, a natural organic mind control, mm-hmm. causing it to crawl up a plant stalk stem to the top mm-hmm. in hopes that a bird or something will fly by and eat it, thus continuing on its life. Uh, the one other thing I remember as well is sometimes the little boogers will make it, the ant climb above the nest mm-hmm. and release all the spores oh. over the entire nest. So in some way, the whole point is to spread yeah. these little fungus killers it doesn't it's terrifying so this book preys upon a fear we all had when we watched planet earth back in the day that what if this could get into humans yeah and what i think what i love about uh, michael Crichton as the director or as a writer um, is that it a lot of his writings the science and everything is based in reality mm. which is something that was cool that this writer did as well yes it's just close enough to science and, and and it's obviously science fiction that it gets you interested. What if? And yeah, you, we should definitely talk about Michael Crichton at some point. There's so many great books and some horrible movies. <laughs> uh, and one of the best movies of all time uh, worth discussing. But that's another podcast. In the book, 
Cordyceps has attacked the UK and presumably the world. We follow the story of some folks in the UK, and this is 20 years after the infection has destroyed most of the country. Yeah, I have something to say on that. I think it was a uh, quote from the director um, saying that it's not a movie about a zombie apocalypse. Mm. It's It's about the human remnants moving around in a world already taken over by nature. That is a great point because you're not seeing the world fall. And we've seen that many times. Sometimes it's done well, sometimes it's done poorly. Um, Here it's already fallen. Um, And the question is, um, as we're about to find out, like, how can the world be redeemed? That's kind of the big question of the movie, I think. How do you live in a world ruled by nature, basically? Yes. We are mostly focused in the start of the movie and the book on a military base where some scientific research is being conducted on a bunch of things. The main character is Melanie throughout this story, a young girl, uh, 10 years old, 12. And how would you describe this girl as a physical entity and the other children? Well, in all respects, she seems fairly normal. Mm-hmm. And it, um, I believe it. Op- the movie opens up with them being taught by Helen Justino, mm-hmm. who has been brought in to in her own way study the kids but also kind of understand and research into whether they are because the whole question is are these kids sentient beings or are they basically dead shells controlled by and that is well it's interesting so there's miss justino who is kind of the psychiatrist and then there's another doctor dr caldwell Mm -hmm. dr caldwell doesn't care at all about any of that she has a specific purpose to create a vaccine, but Miss Justino, the kid's main teacher, seems to kind of have this interest in figuring out, are they actually close to human? Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll get to the spoiler in a little bit. This is a very spoiler-filled show. Um, <laughs> you should, yeah. You should definitely uh, <laughs> be okay with spoilers if you're listening to this. Miss Justino had an interest in trying to understand if the kids were something more, and these children we find out later are kind of the key to how the book ends. And that's not something revealed initially. You don't quite know where these children came from right away, but they're being studied as scientific um, subjects. Um, What happens when the spore gets into a human is it, it almost instantly takes over within a matter of like seconds. And they become basically zombies. They want to eat other humans. Yeah. And over a period of time, the spore grows within them eventually breaking out onto the surface in in like forms of bumps and like uh, hair cilia and like gray Looks growth. pretty and, disgusting. Yeah. And Melanie is this little girl who is an infected creature. She has cordyceps in her somehow. And we find out later what it is. Um, she's very intelligent. Yeah. She's incredibly smart. She um, is one of the best students in the class. And Miss Justino in the movie and the book develops an attachment for her. In the book, the attachment seems a little more clinical. Mm. In the movie, it seems wholesale, just a direct emotional relationship. Yeah. All in. All in. Yeah. So the movie, we're not going to do a full synopsis of this. It kind of kicks off where the main doctor on the base decides that she wants to dissect Melanie's brain. Uh, things are getting a little bit urgent. Time is short for various reasons. And she calls Melanie into her um, 
office studio what the place what do you clinic i don't know yeah a research center <laughs> she called she has her brought in because she wants to dissect her alive since these little kids can't uh, be put to sleep properly and just snow comes in to stop her and do you want to kind of describe what's happening on the base when that happens uh, well, pretty much all hell is breaking loose <laughs> from the outside. And from the movie, what's happening? Because there's something from the book that I think is really interesting. What the book has is it contains what are called junkers, mm -hmm. which is something that the movie does not contain, which are humans who are living outside of the base who are unaffected by cordyceps. They kind of go around marauding, doing whatever they want. Yeah. Um, they have not been in affected yet but they could be affected if they caught it they're not immune yeah, but they sure. yeah, they've not caught it yeah yeah and they figured out because like on the base they have um everyone uses this e-blocker gel it's mm. called yep that they rub on their skin and it keeps the kids and the hungries that they call them from being able to smell them yep because everything is based on smell, smell. It doesn't seem to be based on sight for the most part yeah oh, i do remember the book saying that a fast object they'll chase but what is happening on the base is, um, in the in the book, um, it it says the junkers are using flamethrowers to kind of corral the mm -hmm. hungries towards the base to knock over the to fence. knock over the fence and to, to get inside. What happens in the movie is it just seems like it just ran over the walls. Yeah, just a huge crowd of them somehow get over the fence. And what is interesting is they chose not to include the Junkers, which is a whole other, I think, storyline that could have complicated. I'm glad you said that. I was going to bring that point up later. I I liked the storyline of the Junkers later on, but really it's a bit of a rabbit trail. It doesn't really do anything for the story. So the uh, little girl, Melanie, is about to be dissected, and she has this relationship with another teacher, Miss Justineau. And Miss Justineau comes in to try and save Melanie from being dissected uh, by the main uh, doctor, Dr. Caldwell. Yeah, because she's recognized that she's not in the classroom. And it's hinted at later that some of these kids disappear. What's interesting, I think in the movie, Dr. Caldwell has a conversation occasionally with Melanie through the her cell door, asking, just give me a number. Yeah. From like one to whatever. Because um, each kid is from a particular cell number and is placed on a particular number inside the classroom. And she recognized that that kid wasn't there from that particular number that she had given her. The and then she before. gives, she asks her for another number the next day. Yeah. And she gives her hers. That's right. Um, there's a whole thing, which we won't get into how the kids are strapped down and uh, tied with wheelchairs just to like protect the guards against them. So because of, because of that, um, Miss Justin recognizes that Melly is not there immediately understands like figures out where she's gone, runs to the medical center to try and stop uh, Dr. Caldwell from dissecting basically Melanie because she can't do a live dissection. She has to kill Melanie. Oh yes. In order to be proper because she needs to take something from her brain. She stem. needs to take a like tiny slices of her brain. And this to is study. something that the I the book went into that the movie decided not to, and it was fine. Mm -hmm. Where in the book dr caldwell needs a special type of microscope in order to really look at the um, fungus yeah. and she doesn't get it and so that's why she keeps trying she keeps attempting the movie just skirts over that which mm -hmm. is fine it simplifies yeah. it um in that room uh just snow comes in and right as she comes in the hungries break through shortly after there's a fight yeah there's um, a little she, inter interaction between 
Melanie and, and Justin Oak. Or and, uh, Caldwell and Caldwell, Justin Caldwell, yep. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of jumping ahead. Um, Melanie is able to escape. Um, Caldwell gets her hands really slashed up fighting mm -hmm. against the Hungries. Um, not by them, but by glass. So she's not infected. Oh my goodness, that scene was so lame. It was... <laughs> I even took a note. Like she's taking glass and it, uh, Glenn Close is the actress, a great actress. She actually does a great job, but she was just like tiny little, uh, 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 trying to stab the hungry <laughs> on the neck. It just seemed very weak. Mm. Like, I think, um, half very half-hearted. So I, I guess if I was holding glass that was slicing into my hand, I might not. Probably wouldn't want to go to... <laughs> Want to be dainty about it. <laughs> All in. So as um, a lot of chaos happens, the base is being overrun. Um, Doc um, Parks, who is the sergeant, I guess, or the person in charge of the base, a military person, he pulls up in a Humvee and several of the main characters are able to get into it to escape the base. And there's this scene where uh, there's, there's another soldier. It would be basically red shirt soldier <laughs> with them. Yeah. And they go to get water. And you mm -hmm. just know this soldier, like, yeah, it's, it's not going to make it. It's not going to last long. Um, it just, I guess every movie's got to have it. But you're like, why are you walking so slowly behind the group back to the bus, the Humvee? And what, what, what was stupid was while they're getting water, one of the, I think this soldier is standing watch. They hear a noise. He hears a noise coming. And Sergeant, uh, Eddie Parks says, you know, silencers only uh, because they respond to noise. Yep. And they want to be able to defend themselves without attracting the attention of every hungry within the vicinity. Yep. And as soon as this hungry starts running towards them, this guy opens fire on it with no silencer. It's a loud, a loud shot. And the guy's like, dude, like I told you. So you know he's dead now. So you know it's dead. It's just like, it's like, You'd think if they've been living in the world this long that it, it something like that would be second nature. Yes, which that is actually a movie trope that silencers don't actually make things that quiet. But it, for the sake of the movie, it was very dumb. Um, so that person, they deserve to die. Um, that person tries to get into the Humvee or the Jeep and um, happens to have a bite. And so gets quickly dispatched. He pulls a, yeah, he pulls a, a gun on him because he was trying to get into the, into the Humvee. He's like, dude, I'm fine. Like, just let, let me in. Because, like, more hungry are coming. He's like, nope. He's, like, counting down, waiting, like, 30 seconds or whatever. He's like, I'm, I'm fine. And, and then his this neck little snaps back. Head, little twitch every once in a while. And then he's, like, starts. Like, what happens is their jaw kind of, like, opens up mm -hmm. whenever they start to turn. And As one does like, when becoming a zombie. Yeah. When you're hungry, your mouth opens. As they continue to travel around in this little Jeep, they come into a big city. And the scenes in this city... um, or for lack of a better word, awe-inspiring, not beautiful, very creepy. Just imagining thousands of hungries dead still standing. I guess that's something that many movies have done, um, but they decide to weave them their way through these hungries to try and get somewhere. And there's times in movies where I'm just frustrated with people. Like, why are you so stupid? Um, overall, uh, there's a scene where I was just watching, where they, something happens, they wake the hungries up, and one hungry at a time gets activated. And that was not, <laughs> the book was not like that. One at a time. It, it's not the one that's, it, they all should respond and react, but that's fine. A, a minor concern in an otherwise great movie. Glenn Close, Dr. Caldwell, sees something that's a little unusual. Do you want to describe that? The, the, the cart, the stroller. Yeah, she, so she recognizes her thinking, because she is of the, 
thinking that these are dead humans being animated by a fungus. fungus. They shouldn't still have human traits yeah. or concerns. The only purpose is to feed. Yeah. And what she recognizes is a hungry mother pushing a baby stroller. And it catches her attention like that shouldn't like she shouldn't still be kind of attached to a attached stroller. to a stroller, and she goes over to investigate. Oh, scene. <laughs> and everyone's like, "What are you doing? Stop it!" And th this is the point where in the book and the movie you're just wondering how can you be so stupid? I, maybe as Curiosity. a scientist you're compelled, but it's that that idea is pushed so hard in in the book and in the movie that she just is. She the the way that hungries are are pushed by cordyceps, Doctor Caldwell is pushed by her. Just that's an interesting research that she's driven by. That she only has one drive throughout the entire. Okay, everything she does is hinged on that. It's a fair but annoying point. True. So she sticks out her foot to kind of give the stroller something to bump up against and stop. This creepy part is whenever she goes to move back the baby blanket. It, she notices it's moving. Uh, zombie movies and babies. Like. <laughs> and uh, so she uncovers it and there's a bunch of rats eating at the carcass of a, an infant. Presumably. I, I, I'm going to pretend there may not have been an infant. Yeah, there was an infant. <laughs> there was, there was definitely. And uh, so they, the rats react to being uncovered and like jump out or move or something like that. And that wakes. Yeah, they, wakes they squeal up. or she yells or something. Yeah. And that's where it, then the hungries activate one at a time, which allows them conveniently to get away. They get locked up into a building and they're safe for the night. But I want to talk about uh, Parks um, right now because in the book, I loved his character. He was this initially very gruff, mean uh, person that you believed could kill Melanie. That, that if very much in control. Very much in control. I had several notes just to Yes, in the movie, a little bit of a, a whiny person. Um, did not seem intimidating. Did not seem to have any authority. With there's, I have an exception. I'll, when we get to the end of the book, there's something that the actor did perfectly. But throughout most of the movie, I was not... I didn't really... I was annoyed a little bit by Parks. So, they get in here and they start to sweep the rooms in this uh, building that they're in. Is this in the movie as well? The person that was um, chained up and singing, right? Or reciting? Was I don't that think that guy was in the movie. There was just somebody else, I think, chained up in the in the building. And there was no human type thing. It was... Mm, he wasn't doing anything special. Okay. So th that's something that I... Was not necessary because you've already proved with the baby stroller that was a big deal. Um, and as you're kind of following this story you're learning that melanie is just a little girl who's learning about this crazy world and she is fascinated by this world because so many senses come alive to her but also where does she fit into this because she i mean she sees herself as a human being doesn't understand. she thinks she's a human yes she doesn't understand why she's being treated necessarily differently it's just it's how she's been raised so she thinks it's somewhat normal yep she knows she's different, but doesn't know exactly why things are different. This is um, something that I thought different about the movie and the book is in the book, I really am buying the, the care that Melanie has for Just to Know. 
in the movie, there's not enough time to flesh out that relationship other than Justin Snow just has this strong affection for her, but you don't really feel that connection because um, there's a time where Melanie is able to fight her urge to eat Miss Just Snow even after the e-blocker wears off, but she fights it back. And I feel that the book does a great job of describing that. The movie touches on it, but it's not, that relationship, there's not enough time to really build that up, I don't think. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a moment back in the base where everything goes to crap, where she's in the cell and is, I think, some of the guards leave Melanie in her wheelchair in the in the in her cell yeah, block. She, leaves she her gets someone upset. So they just up. like leave her there overnight. <laughs> and Justin O comes through, sees it, opens the door, and is like, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and like has she's this like moment. Touching she's her. like touching her and like leaning in close trying to get some straps loose and and melanie is just struggling you see like the jaws moving around and she's trying so hard to hold back and, and she finally like, just pushes her out of the room yeah uh that's another thing that uh just just know does not really deserve to survive in this world um <laughs> then again i guess she never sees melanie as a hungry she sees her as a human and that's her that's her downfall that she doesn't see the risk and Caldwell, on the other hand, doesn't won't is not willing to see a human at all. I was very annoyed by Justino, just because of the disregard that she holds. Like it's very obvious that there is a danger here. There's just like total disregard like, oh, for her safety and, and potentially other one anyone else around her, which was very annoying. And that's why Parks in the book I think fit a perfect balance between those two people, Caldwell and Justino, where. He sees the risk with Melanie. He's ready to take her out in an instant if she's a danger. But he also recognizes that she can be useful to the party. <laughs> like he, he starts using her as a scout. He starts using yeah. her to ward off some things and they work together. Yeah. Um, and he seems to start to recognize some humanity. Toward the end, yes. Um, and I guess that makes sense because Park is this older soldier who's been around for a while. He's been out in the field. Uh, the younger soldier that follows along has not is he has only been around since this whole thing fell apart the two doctors uh they've been behind walls this whole time i i i have to wonder though if you're out in the wild with millions of these dangerous things around wouldn't you be a little more careful yeah you'd think so but then again i'm sitting behind my comfy chair <laughs> saying this there was something i wanted to touch on um that i think will come into play later on um for the overall theme of the story and it happens early on in in the movie because, or in the movie and in the book, the kids love to hear stories. Yes. Particularly Greek stories, Greek mythology. Um, and one in particular is the story of Pandora. For those who don't know, Pandora was a woman created by the gods as a punishment who would carry around a box of gifts containing uh, sickness, death, and evil, which would be re released on the world. So it's interesting that that particular story is an intrigue to these kids. Yeah. As we get later into and the story. They're interested in it, but they don't see the parallel to themselves initially. Uh, one, one thing that we learn about their biology of these kids is if they don't eat, they just go into a stasis. They don't really move, but they don't really seem like they can die because the kids that get left behind on the base presumably are fine. Yeah, and I think it's touched on... Uh, a little bit later on in both the book and in the uh, the movie that their bodily functions are slowed down to a lot of degrees or like they can 
run for at a high uh, rate of speed for long distances. Yes, they're um, they're almost superhumans in a way. Their breathing is like their metabolism is very high, um, and like their need for oxygen is is less. Yeah, even they don't even like drink water. All the water they need comes from the, the little worms. They only they need eat. to eat food a little bit. So they're they kind of start to show you that these little kids are almost a, a superior human. They're not these little, little weak flesh bags that can yeah. just die at anything. Um, I, I'm here. I was curious at any time I see a movie like this, what the healing factor is like, what if someone like this gets scratched, how do they get healed? And, and at one point Melanie gets uh, scratched and I, I don't, it doesn't show how she heals. And I was just yeah. kind of curious about that. So, uh, they continue going through town, a few more little things happen and they finally run across, uh, Rosie, which is this huge uh, mobile. vehicle, yeah. mobile, mobile research. Um, slash tank slash flamethrower, which <laughs> I, that's why I've, I wish there was more flamethrowers. And uh, these were, it was one of two um, mobile units that were set out 20 years ago to try and research a, a cure. Dr. Caldwell didn't make the cut. She was very bitter about that. And she's been on base ever since. And no one knew what happened to these mobile units. Yeah. And just like um, Area X, the book that we talked about previously. Yes. This story has a sequel book to it as well called The Boy on the Bridge, which yeah. goes into detail about what happened to these mobile so researchers. technically a prequel and sequel because it has later on it tells it, what happens later. Yeah, so it moves, jumps back and forth. Um, so if you you are interested in knowing further into what those what happened to those vehicles and the later on history, that's a book to check and out. Like Area X, I would say the first book is the best. Mm -hmm. If you're curious to know more about the in-universe world, basically, mm -hmm. read this sequel. Yep. But if you're expecting a story as compelling, it's not going to be as good. Yeah, and I guess we can um, quickly sidestep here and just talk about it for a second. I know we both read the book. Yep. Um, the issue that I had, there's not been a movie made about it or anything. Yep. It was difficult to remember because it referenced a couple characters from the first book it was just difficult for me to kind of remember who those characters were and why they were important reading I, it i felt something similar that i didn't there was a lot of characters in the the, the mobile unit mm. i think what 12 of them and i found myself just not caring much for many of them yeah so it was, it was much harder to get invested into the story yeah um for the boy on the bridge but and, if we had maybe read it on its own may have been interesting i think it was a decent book mm -hmm. um uh, it, it's kind of the plague of these really uh, well, sidetrack the martian versus artemis did you read artemis mm -hmm. uh, artemis is a good book in its own it's right really book, yeah but the martian is just worlds above just such a great book so it's always this risk of an author um being interested in being an author myself <laughs> you have an amazing book and the second book is it just decent yeah and that's so, always that is the concern I think a lot of books, potentially in, in movies for sure, always struggle in that realm of making either a sequel or a prequel just as good as the original. And I think that'd be worth talking about at some point, like what works well there. Yeah. So this unit they come across, you there's a whole book to tell the backstory, but it's now crashed in the middle of London. Mm. Um, let's make sure we talk about what's happening gradually throughout London with the cordyceps. That would mm. be, we'll mention that in a minute. 
but they get into this unit and everyone is so happy because it has ammunition, it has food, it has sleeping quarters, it has a science lab with um, a great equipment for Dr. Caldwell to continue her research to try yeah. and create a vaccine. So everyone loves this, this unit and they start to spend time in it and center around it. Yeah. And at this point, Dr. Caldwell is getting much slower. She's dying. Basically. She's slowly dying. And it turns out it's, she has um, blood, poisoning. blood poisoning. And that is just, that is her own. Because movies have elements that are like a, the sand running out that are driving the story forward and causing, you know, tension. Whether it's a timer on a bomb. Like you've only that's got two true. hours before. That's for her, that speeds everything that's up. That's her own um, timer for her wanting to kill Melanie and fulfill her research. Um, I did notice something that in the book, there's a lot of animosity between Caldwell and Justin O mm -hmm. over around Melanie. Um, in the, in the movie, it doesn't seem as earned as deserved, like why they would be as frustrated with each other. Um, and so that whole animosity triangle between the three isn't as big of a deal in the movie, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they, get to the base and then Melanie, because Parks is starting to trust her, she's just out exploring randomly. The Both of them have a slightly different take on this, but they run across some kids, mm. which are like Melanie, mm. um, without any education though, without any language. In the book, I believe it's actually junkers that she comes across. That's show. actually, that's the trick. She calls them junkers to uh, that's right. trick the rest of them. She, <laughs> right. she says, I saw a bunch of junkers. We got to get Rosie out of here and run. Mm. So this is actually kind of the central point of the book that we find out Melanie was one of these little kids that Parks picked off of the street somewhere yeah. and brought back to the research lab. So Melanie runs into these kids who they have had no education. They're just yeah. kind of surviving on their own. Yeah. Think of like Lord of the Flies. Kind of thing. Yes. Um, with no glasses. <laughs> so um, Melanie wants the kids to be protected in the book. In the movie, I don't remember what she was hoping for. There's less, it's brought to the forefront a lot less as far as how she feels about them. So I think at, her whole thing is just, I'm wanting to protect Miss, Miss Justin. And yeah, the movie's, the book's able to dive a little deeper. So there's this scene that was so frustrating with Gallagher. Mm. Um, I actually liked Gallagher. He's kind of the private soldier who's Sweet kid. along for the rest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the book and in the movie, you, you start to just, connect with the character a little bit. Do you like him? He's not just a red shirt. He's someone who's a, a real part of the the group. Yeah. He's like nice to, to Melanie and yes. is a somewhat good soldier on his own. So, you know, you like him. So he goes out for some reason to explore. They're running out of food. And he's going out to find food. Yep. And Melanie did not tell them that there were little kids around in both of them, movie and book. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't realize that there's a bunch of dangerous little kids who are attracted to humans and want to eat them. And I think it was, is that he, they had, they've been using walkie talkies to communicate because they, what Sergeant Parks has been, like you mentioned before, recognized that Melanie had a use that she could go yes. out. He could send her forward as a forward scout because the hungries didn't react to her. Yes. Um, so Which was could, a really cool scene in the beginning, like to realize, oh, she can do whatever she yeah, wants. She's just walking around. No one cares. So, um, I believe she had a walkie talkie at the time and parks didn't have it. So they weren't even able to communicate to him. So he was out on his own. To tell, uh, Gallagher. To, yeah. The with, young private. With no communication. But, and these kids in the book are, uh, 
very fierce, very mm. a big a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And the movie not as much. And just they're intelligent too, not yes. just crazy. They're, or... they're contriving all kinds of things. Yeah. So there's this scene where Gallagher walks up to this garage. There's some canned food right outside this garage, and there's, yeah. it's a little tiny, um, literally a breadcrumb trail, literally canned breadcrumb food trail leading to this little, <laughs> to this little, uh, He's just walking along, following the trail, picking up the things like, oh, here's another can, and he sees this garage door leading into a grocery store, yeah. and uh, it's like half open, like about it's lifted eight up inches about, like, off the ground, yeah, two feet off the ground. So he takes off his rifle and puts it on the the pavement and crawls underneath. Yeah. And this is the point where I just, I felt like he no longer deserved to live. It's like, you done messed up, man. <laughs> so <laughs> he crawls under, he's walking around in the store and he's super excited because yeah. he's finding canned goods. Um, it's a great little place. Lots Magazines. of good stuff. And he then sees this little girl and, and she's, like, she's holding, what's going on. She's holding a rat up to him, a dead rat. And the girl in the movie did such a good job. I mm. thought it was a great scene. Yeah. You have this tall soldier, um, you know, decked out, and this little girl with barely any robes on holding out a rat, and she's motioning to him, like, come here, eat this rat. It's a gift for like, you. Like opening and closing her mouth, like a like biting motion, like holding it. I was like, here, eat it, kind of a thing. Oh, that sound. Um, this was one thing, by the way, that um, I, I bothered me a little bit in the movie and the book, that these little children could withhold their desire to eat a human on the spot mm. when the kids in the lab couldn't could not. and they already showed the e-blockers not working very well and you wonder because these kids were oh out in nature all out the time in nature maybe they learned different maybe they were they were able to skills. control their senses a little bit more or the hunt maybe it's not a huge deal. It's a small plot issue. But it is, yeah. But it is, it is something that's not really. It seems like a mistake. Yes. So uh, he, he he starts to follow the little girl, and then in the book, it does, and in the movie, suddenly a kid comes along and just like hamstrings him. Yep, slices the back of his legs, and he just falls over, and there's huge pool of blood. Yeah. Now, something the book does that I thought was such a beautiful scene, which the movie couldn't quite flesh out, is Gallagher is having this, he's yelling at the kids, like, stay back. Yeah. Um, he's now, he, he likes Melanie. He likes the little kids. He doesn't want to actually kill these kids because he views them as more human than anything else. Yeah. And he has a grenade mm -hmm. and he's like, you fools, I could kill you all right now, but they don't understand. And that's mm -hmm. the moment where when he realizes that they don't understand, mm -hmm. that he just decides to give himself up. And he decides not to pull the pin. He on decides the, not to pull the pin. The grenade. So they find him dead with a, a grenade that wasn't pulled. Yeah. So he kind of redeemed himself from that stupid garage door, like crawling under it. I still think it was stupid. No. <laughs> like he could have ended all their lives and he chose not to. He chose to be yeah. food for them. So the whole thing is just a very sad story. <laughs> yeah. And they're like racing, like Melanie like finally confesses, like there's kids out there and gallagher's in trouble we gotta help we him. gotta go help him so they're racing to go find him and they're using melanie's sense of smell like a like a yes uh, bloodhound to try to find him and so like they i think they find him probably moments after yeah just some body parts left. yeah and they're on the end so everyone's gone inside they found him i think he's dead i don't think he's eaten into it's like well why did they leave him 
And they're like, oh, this is a trap. They go outside and they realize that they're surrounded by the kids. Which this, um, the the book was a much more complex scene here. Yeah. And I, it was at night and there's rooftop scrambling and all this mm -hmm. stuff. So they simplified a lot by just having Melanie um, like hashed out with these kids right now to basically show, to protect parks. and Because yeah. um, there was like a leader yep, kid. This big boy. Yeah. So she kind of like squares off with him, making all these like growling noises and stuff. And Which... Beats the crap out of them. She, she does the fight scene. I thought was kind of stupid. It was very poorly contrived. Yeah. Yeah. The the choreography is little kids beating each other up. Like it looks like those pinata kids with the baseball bats. Like just like swinging, swinging left and right. <laughs> and in in the book, uh, Melanie shows up with this cool helmet, like dressed like an astronaut type thing, and mm. just scares them and has uh, like a flamethrower or something. It's just a I big deal. That part. So again, it kind of. Ah, not as not as good, but she basically establishes dominance over the kids, and yeah. all the little kids scatter. Yeah, it's like these are my. Her point was like these. This is my food. Yep. She was claiming them as as her own like and property. She had to kill the big kid to basically do that to be able to command authority. Yeah. So it was her way of protecting her people. Yes. Anything else before we get to Caldwell's discovery? Uh, I think that was about it. Um, by the way, it's been um, a couple. We both read the books. We've both seen the movies. Um, I've done it both uh, two times, mm -hmm. but it's been a little bit since we actually watched it. So um, we're kind of going off fun memory. <laughs> and I like that because I don't want to have to go over everything all over again. Okay. They get to Caldwell or we cut to Caldwell and she discovers that um, there is no cure. Yeah. Um, Melanie is just as infected as the rest. There's no way to save humans. The, mm -hmm. the, basically the vaccine's impossible. Yeah. And, um, the book and the movie both have different ways of addressing what happens here. And both of them I thought were really good. Mm. Um, Caldwell's, uh, which do we want to jump into first? Um, I guess Caldwell's death in the book was really profound. Yeah. I guess a little bit of that conversation of what happens before Melanie decides what she's going to do next. Yes. Because in the book, Melanie comes into the van or into the big unit. Mm -hmm. Um, she's able to corner Caldwell. Caldwell had this whole plan to like, um, like gassed, she, she gassed everyone else and that, yeah. she kind of like took over the unit and locked everyone else outside and was, the whole goal was to get to Melanie. Yeah. Melanie outsmarts her and basically says, Hey, your time's up. Yeah. You're, She's you're, like, because of her, her high metabolism, she was able to like wake up faster. That's right. She's yes. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah. You are, you can do that. Can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, she basically gets, um, uh, Dr. Caldwell to explain the whole thing to her scientifically what's going so, on. Do you believe she I'm alive? is? And we find out in the movie that these little kids came from Hungary's that had gotten pregnant. Yep. And they who, who were pregnant when the thing happened. Yep. Yes. And they caught their way out of the Yeah, so <sighs> the mothers, the pregnant mothers got infected by the spores and because of how the body feeds the fetus in the womb, it kind of somehow either metabolize it differently to where they imply of, that they grow up faster they, or they grew they uh they uh they grew teeth because of being in the womb they had a natural immunity to it for it to affect them the way it does oh yes i was on to the really parents. gruesome part how they clawed out but yes, yes uh th th that's a really important point that, because that explains why they don't just become normal hungries so basically higher. cordyceps is still attacking their brain but they're able to fight it back and keep it at bay yeah and it can't fully take over their brain. That was like the big discovery. Yeah. So Melanie realizes, okay, there's no way that humans can't be saved. 
and oh, we forgot the big part, the wall. Mm. There's there's a tower versus the wall. Um, as they slowly get more into London, they see less and less hungries around, and they start yeah. wondering, where are they? What's going on with them? And the hungries that they do find are, like, they're dead on the ground. Spooled together. Yeah, clumped together with, like, spores or, like, this plant growing out of them. Spores kind of... Kind of intertwined them. together. And in the movie, they see this huge clump of spores, a, a base of humans, all are dead hungries all around this tower, and they've just gone up to this, hu uh, this huge tower. Yeah. And it's a single column of... Yeah this huge fungus plant climbing up to the top yeah, with these like sp spiky big pods. pods on them. Yeah. And, um, that's fine. It actually works well. It's a pretty cool scene, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's cinematic. It's got this tall pinnacle thing. It's very, yes. the wall was amazing though. In the book, yeah, you it basically somehow you get this entire wall. That's just, as you get deeper into London, um, everything uh, is just kind of enveloped yeah. in, this cordyceps, which there's, you know, 2 million people that had all died and just kind of this whole block of maybe a couple square miles or just yeah, I think it went like several miles. Cause now they ran direction. around it to try to find a way around. Yeah, so it's going to take like, it's like 20 miles or something like that, or some, like it's a good distance. Like we can't walk around this. And so they imply that, you know, the humans are able to walk freely around and not be infected mm -hmm. unless they're bitten. But, they talk about cordyceps and plants and how they can um, re like regenerate or, or produce their next offspring. Mm. And they look at these pods and they talk about, well, the pods are fine. They're like they're not open. Yeah. Uh, so the question becomes, like it, how would the pods open? They say it's going to take a, an extreme external uh, trigger. trigger on them to, to Which, of course, open. The, the, the movie and the book both, they, they pay that off very well. Yeah. So Caldwell explains that humans can't be saved. And that the, they, the kids came from pregnant mothers, and that's why they're immune, and they, they can't die from that. Because yeah. she can't, and she, the, I think the thought, point was is that she wasn't necessarily trying to find a cure. Yeah, she didn't want to re necessarily reverse it for anyone else, just keep them from being infected, yeah, right? Yeah, it's just like finding out, like, you're not going to be able to, like, cure me. That's right, vaccine. You're that, just that's what trying was. to find a vaccine for it to be able to spread further. So there's this moment where... The, Melanie and her quote unquote kind have been mistreated like as if they're not living. Mm -hmm. And the entire book drives this home that they're just humans treat them as a lesser species. It's kind of like X-Men almost that there's this whole dynamic between these humans with a, a different ability that are treated negatively. Yeah. And so there comes this switch and where Melanie realizes, wait a minute, maybe we're actually supposed to be the ones yeah, taking over the next stage of human evolution as it were yes and that's a really well done in yeah. both so caldwell she dies uh telling all her life story and all of her research to melanie who because she's this beautiful gifted girl that's very smart she's able to absorb it all and understand scientifically what's happening and mm -hmm. caldwell she's like i would have won the nobel peace prize for this or whatever it's the pulitzer i don't remember what it was yeah. but now she has to tell this little girl and she actually she appreciates that as her dying audience the girl understands everything mm -hmm. Um, in the movie, she runs out and gets eaten by kids, I think. Yeah, because Melanie decides to go do something about it and leaves. Yes. And she goes and chases after her and gets surrounded by the kids. And... So this is, do you, do you remember what happened to Parks? Um, oh, oh I, I got to describe that because the book yeah. did it so well. So this is kind of the ending, what yeah. happened. So Melanie, From the book. From the book. Melanie realizes, okay, there's this huge wall of pods, half of London 
um, what I need to do is something to the pods. Mm. So Dr. Uh, Park has been infected. He's been bitten and he's about to die. Yeah, there was uh, some instance where uh, Justino and him were trying to escape from, I think it was the, the hungry kids. And got trapped somewhere, and I think he got bitten or something, or and scratched. He's somehow he's dying. Yeah, somehow. And uh, Justin knows if she's protected, she's yeah. safe. Yeah. And so Melanie, like, he gets inside of the the Rosie with, and Melanie's like, "Hey, can you teach me how to use the flamethrowers?" And he's like, he, "It's actually very sad in the book because he just wants to rest. He's yeah. dying." And she's like, or he's converting to a hungry. She's like, yeah. "Just, just one more minute. I just need your help a little bit longer. Show me how to use these flamethrowers." She's like, "Okay." And he's not really cognizant and. And she's like, okay, so Rosie has these huge flamethrowers. They point it at the wall, and he teaches her how to fire them. And the entire wall goes up in flames. And Parker's like, what did, what did we she do? do? <laughs> what have I done? And at that point, she kind of takes over as the, the adult in the situation. She's like, you can just rest now. Everything's okay. And that was just such a beautiful scene. But the movie, the actor sold it. It was, it was done a little bit differently. Like, he's laying on the ground. But you really, like, believe, ah, it was just, oh, that, that was with the gun. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, he's describe like, it? Yeah, he's, um, she has set the tower on fire and is making her weight. Like, there are pods and things are floating in the air. Uh, spores are floating in the oh, air. Oh, he came he's out making, of Rosie when he wasn't supposed yeah, to. Yeah, she like, I locked you in. Like, you were safe. You were safe. Why did you come out? It's like, yes. I, I, don't, I forget what he's, his reason for coming out. I think it was like. To, to find, find her, her or I think so. something. Because Justina was safe inside the unit yeah. as well, Rosie. And he can't, I think he just went back out to go find, I'm going to go find the girl. And all the spores are in the air now. And the spores are in the air and she's making her way back to the, to Rosie. And she sees them. She's like, why are you here? Why are you here? Like I, I had saved you. I had it planned out. <laughs> and, and he's, he's slowly dying and um, choking and visibly slowly starting to turn and he gives her his gun he says he has a memory i think of a, a, a past loved one he says her name or a few things mm -hmm. and there's that whole conversation and he doesn't want to live as a hungry that's he makes it very clear he doesn't to want to die as a as a hungry and um, we can move away and we hear this gunshot and, and that scene was done so well i felt yeah. that in both of them, Park, like, he got his deserved, like, farewell in a way that was very meaningful and impactful. Yeah. Yeah. So we get uh, Justin O and both kind of wakes up and sees what's happened. Yeah. And we have this beautiful reversal where it started out in the beginning that Melanie's the one locked up. <laughs> and because she's a danger, um, now Justin O's locked up because she's endangered. Yeah. That the whole world is now unsafe. The pods have basically gone across around the entire globe. Mm -hmm. And any humans have been converted to hungries now. Yeah. Starting the phase. Because they will, all humans alive at the time, will get infected, go through the maturation stage, die. And then the next I guess, stage of human life will then be like Melanie. And... The movie kind of started with this uh, good morning, Miss Justino yeah. classroom scene. Mm -hmm. And it basically ends with the same thing where, do you want to describe it with the, the kids? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the hungry kids are, are out there in Justino because she's like the alpha. She's kind of keeping them in line. Oh, you mean Melanie? 
Uh, yes. Yep. <laughs> Melanie is just the nose kind of like bottom of the barrel now. <laughs> Melanie is outside keeping the hungry kids in line. And also it looks like she went back to the base and brought some of the other kids. Back. Oh, I missed that. I think um, that's right. So there was a mix of the other hungry kids from the base as well as the, the hungry wildlings. That's a really good one, uh, catch. Um, and so they're going, they're having class and Justin O is teaching the kids how to either talk in the hungry's case or the wildlings case. And then wildlings, know. I like that. Yeah. And like, it's funny. Some of the little kids are getting out of line and Melanie's beating them with the back <laughs> stick. Like, hey, she's, be quiet. Yeah. She's aggressive. And so Miss Justin O is the connection to the old world where she's telling the stories and educating them to help them to basically live as better beings on this earth. And you find that in the book, it talks about how they, they're, they're kind of treating the hungries with more care mm -hmm. um, as the things they are. And they're trying to collect all the little kids. That way they can restart society. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was really well done. Since we've, we've gone through comparing the book um, and how it stacks up to the movie, or at, correction, how the movie stacks up to the book. The, the beautiful book. Comparing how both were done, whether we thought one was better over the other, or if the changes made, made sense. And compared to what we talked about, the movie and the book we talked about last time, Area X, almost being a complete divergent from the book, the movie in The Girl with All the Gifts case was fairly well done as far as all the major beats followed the book to the story and including everything that was important. Yeah. Like we, we talked about things that were different because they stood out as different. Yeah. M much of the movie and book were similar. Yeah. And different and not necessarily for the movie's sake, a bad way. This comes up in both Annihilation and this, that the thing that a movie can do is bring music into it mm -hmm. and acting and visuals. Um, a book can bring visuals in in a, in a way where you can imagine. And my brain, you know, if I think of reading Lord of the Rings, your brain can imagine a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And so that's not necessarily a weak point of books. So I, I think kind of the point of this podcast is I appreciate being able to hear a story, learn a story in both mediums and see the differences. Yeah. One out of 10, how would you rate the book? I would rate the book as an eight. And the movie? I would say I'd rate it probably as a seven. I think for both of us, I can safely say that we would probably recommend both the book and the movie. Yes. I, I, I was just checking the rating. It is rated R um, mm -hmm. and it's rated R more for just uh, some violence. I think some language. And it's the very intense. Uh, yes. Violence and language. Like it's, it's more of a PG 13 story, but there's definitely some extreme violence in there. Yeah. Um, but I, I liked the story because I would not have thought of it like a horror movie. Mm -hmm. I do think of it as more of a just a really interesting story with an element of society being having fallen apart. Mm -hmm. uh, so a uh, last take then for you is um, what was the your favorite overall feeling about the movie and the book as two different mediums? It was. Looking at the, and I think that's probably the problem why the movie was not as much of a success as if people had watched it, mm -hmm. would have probably enjoyed it. I think those who have actually watched the movie probably enjoyed it. That I think that's a fair assumption. Um, 
but it's not one of those movies if you look at the trailer or even the cover it looks more like an indie film yes it's and not the cinematography mainstream. i thought well you could probably it speak to it better yeah, it was beautifully shot yes the acting was was the acting was not b level acting it was mm -hmm. a level acting yeah um so i think it just hit the wrong market or came out at the wrong i don't know it could have been stacked up against some a a list films coming out of the time which is probably why i didn't do do as well but it's it is also a specific genre and i feel like annihilation may have been uh, annihilation i think definitely did better mm -hmm. i don't remember the numbers but they both feel like similar films that they're just kind of this weird out there uh story yeah. that just really spoke to me I, I liked it yeah and i think the main actress in Annihilation. Natalie Portman. Not to take away from any of their performances. It's just Natalie Portman is, is more of a household name. Yeah. And I think that is what made Annihilation a little bit more mainstream of a film. Um, but for the book, same situation where <laughs> uh, you've got your collection of books. And a lot of times I'm like either I'll start another one that you haven't even started yet or follow along behind we like to read a lot of the same thing yeah. so it was i i read it off of your recommendation mm -hmm. so i i enjoyed both in their separate formats and um would definitely recommend them i i, I sometimes like i prefer to read a book first and then watch the movie and i can really enjoy both mm. um because the movie helps me give visuals with the story i know yeah. it doesn't work if the movie's not a close portrayal though um that's kind of mm. the an interesting thing for us to keep looking at in this podcast yeah and i i will have i do have to say that this is not a film necessarily that is rewatchable for me it's not one that i like hey i want to watch that again yes we only rewatched it for this show um, we both sat down again together yeah. to watch it that i would not, not say have done i didn't enjoy it the first time and yeah. it's not a good movie it's just it's not a good feeling film at least Rewatchability would be interesting to think about, like mm -hmm. what makes us want to watch a movie again and be happy we watched one again. Like we just yeah. started watching Lord of the Rings again, and yeah. you're just happy while you're seeing this film. Like, <laughs> yeah, and even books too. Like, I would probably. It's interesting. I, I might be more interested in listening to the book again, which I did. I the second time around, I was very happy listening to than spending my time watching the movie. Yeah. Even though it takes longer to listen to the yeah, story. Like four times longer. But granted, like I'm able to do other things typically while I'm listening to the story. And this is an interesting thing that's happened to me the last couple of years. Um, you'll probably notice I don't want to watch movies a lot of times. Yeah. I'm happy just listening to an audio book. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I, because then I get to do whatever else I want while I'm listening to the book. Yeah. And even though I did say I'd probably be more likely to read the book again, it's not like it was with The Martian for me. I, I think I've read The Martian like four or five times. And it's, that's, an, that's an inspiring story of humanity. Like, you just get the chills when you think about what the, the whole world does to get behind this one person. Yeah. It was a character that is fun to listen to. Yes. Uh, Mark Watney, uh, yeah, whole another one, but just his whole inner monologue and the way he, it's just such a cool story. Yeah. And of course, I think Matt Damon did an amazing job. So that that is a rewatchable film. That's a great point. Yeah. So um, all in all, I think The Girl with All the Gifts is a great book to read. And if you haven't watched it, we highly recommend checking that out. Absolutely. All right. Cheers. See you. Thank you for listening to Read or Watch, an audio face podcast. 
And by clicking the follow button, it's you as a listener reaching out to us and saying, hey, we like what you're doing, and we really appreciate that. Plus, it helps the channel. Make sure to hit the bell icon to be notified of new releases every Monday. Also, join our Instagram community at Audio Phase Podcast to get notified of upcoming releases as well as access to bonus episodes. And make sure to join us next Monday for an all-new episode. You're listening to Audio Phase on Spotify. <laughs>